Good morning. Now, before we talk about forgiving others, I want to take a minute to say thank you to a certain group of people in our midst. Um, a big thank you to any veterans out there today. I don't know if we've got some house lights here. Uh, I'd love to see uh, our veterans. Let's say thank you to any veterans. If you're a veteran, would you stand up? We want to recognize you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we want to acknowledge you and to just say thank you to you. Um, we understand that we have a great set of privileges living in the United States of America, and uh, many of those we take for granted on a daily basis. And so thank you for your service and uh, for those, uh, maybe you have loved ones that are serving overseas right now. Let's, let's pray for um, our nation. Let's pray uh, for those loved ones that are serving and thank God for those that have. Heavenly Father, we come before you and acknowledge uh, the gift that it is to live where we do and the age and time in which we do. And uh, we are so grateful for the men and women who have uh, served in the United States military to uh, provide the kind of freedom that we feel like you uh, want all of your people, all people to enjoy uh, the freedom uh, to worship, the freedom uh, to, be, to be people that can gather um, in your name um, anywhere, anytime, any place. And we thank you for using our country to be a beacon of freedom in our world that desperately needs it. And so we pray for peace. We pray for peace in our world that is just rife with conflict on the other side of the world and, and all over. And uh, we pray for your protection uh, for those that are serving and are grateful uh, for the safe place that we call home. And uh, we give you the credit for that, Lord. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we find ourselves uh, in week two of a series called Forgive. And as I was thinking about that this morning, I see some Colts jerseys out there and I realize that it is a 9.30 on the dot. And uh, I just want you to know that I can see you out here. I know uh, some of you may be tracking what's going on in Germany right now, as I know the Colts are playing, but uh, I will forgive you. I think you know where we're going on this, but I want to say I can't see you. Um, we are exploring how to live out one of the most difficult commands in Scripture. And if you missed last week, Lance introduced the series and introduced a starting point for us. One that applies to all of us, no matter how large or small an offense has been done to us. There is no qualification in scripture. We are to forgive and we have a part to play in that. And so we've been suggesting that there is a formula that we want to think about that frames this task for us. Three parts. We have a part to play. God has a part to play. And so do they, the person who maybe has sinned against us, they play a part as well. And we need to think about all of these things and how they work together. And so we have a part to play. We talked about bringing that stuff to Jesus. And that's what we talked about last week. And I know 
it could be a little exhausting to qualify this every single time you talk about forgiveness, but, but it's hard not to get past how difficult this is. It is an incredibly difficult practice, and that is, that is very true because it doesn't matter how big or small, how young or old you are, any parent will tell you uh, that is one of the jobs that you have to figure out, um, whether your kids are tiny or uh, teenagers or grown, like walking them through conflict management and helping them to forgive others is one of your most significant jobs. And so when Katie and I uh, were first parents and we had two little tiny boys, even really before they could even understand these things, we kind of made a commitment to each other. You know, we're gonna have to be very intentional to teach our kids about how to forgive one another. And uh, we wanted to set the tone early. You know, you don't just say, I'm sorry to your brother. You say, I forgive you and you mean it. And, um, and you teach them these things. And I remember one of my, my boys was probably about four years old. We've already gone through some of those things with them. And I remember it involved me and I had to forgive my son. I don't even remember what it was about at this point, uh, but I remember I had to forgive my son for something. And then the next day I started talking about it and my four-year-old is like, dad, I thought you forgave me. It's like, oh, okay. All right. You are right. That is a good question, son. And so we know there are lots of questions about forgiveness. We know that there are questions and they can come from the smallest of voices. And those are probably the best questions that we have. And so if you have a hard time like me really understanding how to forgive this is why we are here today, because it raises questions. Does that person deserve it? And am I saying, as I forgive you, that, that everything that you did is okay? Does this mean that I'm forgetting what take place, you know, in the past by by saying that I forgive you, by going through this? Is, does it just kind of say, I, I'm forgetting this? Well, again, if you've got questions, you're in good company. The apostle Peter did not shy away from asking questions if you read the gospels and he had a very good question to his Lord, our, our savior Jesus in regard to forgiving others. So we're gonna be in Matthew 18 today. You can turn to Matthew 18. That's where we will be camping out. And in verse 21, Peter kicks us off with a good question. Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? This is his good question. How often should we forgive others? Seven times? You see, when Peter suggests forgiving other people seven times, in his mind, he is going out on a limb. He is like, 
Seven times, that's a lot. You don't understand, seven is incredibly generous. Peter is like, I have been listening, Jesus, to all the things you've been talking about. I heard what you were saying back in Matthew 6. You prayed this Lord's Prayer. You talked about how the Father is gonna forgive us if we forgive us. Like, I'm paying attention. Peter's a good student. He's hearing all these things. But Peter, what's really in the back of his mind when he asks this? question, he is concerned about justice. What's the right thing? Like, don't we have to protect ourselves when we're thinking about forgiveness? There has to be some kind of limit somewhere. So, so how often should we? Because I'm not sure if that would be the right thing to do if I just have a blank check out there. He's concerned about protecting himself. He's concerned about what's fair and what's right. And so the number that Peter suggests, seven, isn't just out of thin air. He he picks this very intentionally. The Jewish teaching about forgiveness, because in the Old Testament, there's stuff about forgiveness. And so the Jewish rabbis, there's lots of books and things that expound on the Old Testament that the Jews would, would have followed in addition to the Old Testament. One of those is called the Talmud. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a Jewish exposition of the law. And it instructed Jews to forgive people three times. You forgive your brother, your sister, whoever, three times. And so Peter, in his mind, is thinking, Jesus is going to be really impressed I'm like not just like going more than that. I'm like more than doubling what our Jewish friends say seven times. Look at me. This is a great suggestion. And Jesus, no. Verse 22, no, not seven times. Jesus replies, no. Isn't it so interesting? Sometimes we give Jesus a bad rap. He's, he's kind of cryptic when you read Jesus talking with his followers, when you read the New Testament, or he, someone asks him a question and he asks a question in return. But sometimes we need to give Jesus credit when he is crystal clear. And this is one of those, hey, no, <laughs> not seven. But Jesus replies 70 times seven. And Jesus is not just giving us a new number to track. He's not saying 490 is the new magic number. So when you are getting ready and you're thinking about that person in your home who causes you to be late, even though they promised from the other room, hey, I'll be right there. And you are sitting in the car. Um, The point of this is not to say, honey, you've got two left. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Seven is the number of completion, which is why Peter suggested it in the first place. He thought he was being so generous, but Jesus makes it entirely clear. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is you have unlimited forgiveness for people in your life. That is the point. That is the standard. And so Jesus already knows the follow-up question. He doesn't even wait for Peter to ask it or us. It's like, uh, but Jesus, uh, help us with this. How could you possibly do that? In our strength, we think seven times is 
generous. And Jesus saying, that's not the standard. And so in the rest of Matthew 18, Jesus explains God's part in forgiveness because he knows Peter and you and I are struggling with this. And so he tells a story. So what is God's part? Because I know in my strength, I can't do that. What is God's part in forgiveness? Verse 23, Jesus tells a parable. He tells a story that's, that's made up, but it reflects something that is true. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors who was brought in, who owed him millions of dollars, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and started begging him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and he forgave his debt. That's the first half of this story. And I hope this sounds familiar. I hope there are many of you who have read or heard this story or a version of it before. But even if this sounds familiar, this is an unbelievable picture for us. It starts with a king. And we know exactly who this king is referring to because Jesus says this story um, is about and points to the kingdom of heaven. And we know that in the kingdom of heaven, it's a kingdom and there's a king in the kingdom of heaven and that king is God the Father, right? God is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And so God is the king. This is exactly what this story is pointing to. God as the kingdom. And as we read this story, there's a few things that could trip us up as we read and try to understand this. And for some of us, maybe you're kind of stuck on this well, why would the king sell people into slavery? And you're like, I, I kind of got lost there. I hope that you don't, because remember, this is a fictional story. This isn't something that God would actually do. It's trying to teach us a point. The story is not about slavery. The story is about debt and forgiveness. Even so, at the time that Jesus told this story, this is how the Roman world dealt with debt. There was no bankruptcy. There were no uh, categories like that in the first century. And so the only way to pay for debt would be to go to prison or to be sold into slavery or to be kind of an indentured servant for a certain period of time. And so the listeners wouldn't have thought twice about this story in that way, the way that we might. It was customary for that to happen. The point that Jesus is making is that the debt that the servant had to the king was enormous. That is what we are supposed to pay attention to, that the debt should catch your attention. So how big is the debt that this servant had? Verse 24 tells us in the NLT, it says millions of dollars. You see, 
We normally love the New Living Translation. We use it here at White River, but I think it misses the mark a little bit on this. And I know why they translate it that way. They're trying to remove a couple steps for you and I in English so that we can kind of understand the story. And I get that. But the literal translation of what is in the text is 10,000 talents. And maybe you have a translation that says, 10,000 talents. The servant had a debt of 10,000 talents. You're like, well, I like millions of dollars better because I don't know what a talent is, so I don't get it. Okay, we need to understand what is this. A talent was the largest denomination of currency in the empire. It's the largest currency. In fact, the talent was really a weight measurement. So it's like, heavy. It's the heaviest weight, the heaviest amount that you could have. And 10,000 was the largest number for which they had vocabulary words for. They had larger numbers numerically. They could always add a zero onto things, but that was as high as the vocab went. So what Jesus is really saying, and I don't think millions of dollars captures this, is this is the largest quantity and the largest number that you could ever have. This is the largest amount possible. It doesn't get larger than that. And for a little more context, understand just how much this is. And I know this is kind of going a little bit in the weeds. The whole point is to understand it's the largest possible, but I think it's kind of fun to try to understand how much are we talking about. A talent was approximately 20 years of wages for a common person. So if you think about that in today's terms, just using round numbers, let's say $50,000 a year. That's what um, one-twentieth of a talent would be. Okay, follow me. I probably lost some of you. But that would mean what Jesus is saying, the debt this servant owes is over $100 billion. That's incredible. Like you can't even wrap your mind around this debt. It's not even possible. Tim Keller, before his passing this year, he, he explained this parable and he said, well over half of the countries on the face of the earth do not even have a GDP of that. That is mind blowing. But it's important to understand what we're talking about. Again, the point wasn't to have a specific number in mind. Jesus wants us to know, whoa, you're, you mean the biggest possible thing that you could ever even imagine? Yes, that is what he is talking about. And if you're tracking with me, it's like, how could a servant even receive so much no king would loan that much money. It doesn't even make sense sometimes at a certain point. Yet, yet, in verse 26, check this out. The man falls down before his master and begs him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Are you starting to understand how unrealistic that is? That there is a servant at the feet of the king saying, don't worry, I will pay it back. Can you pay back 
What? A hundred billion plus dollars? Not in a thousand lifetimes. Could you earn that? Right? There's no way. It's impossible. And as shocking as this parable is, as shocking as that number is, when you start to wrap your mind around it, what's even more shocking is that the king forgives it. He forgives this debt. And what you should be thinking in this moment, as shocking as that is, it is the same for me. It is the same for you. Any offer on your part to the king of kings to say, I can earn my salvation. God, let me give my life to you. I'll pay back my debt. Lord, I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to pay back my debt. I'm even going to go to church when the cults are playing during church, Lord. Come on. God, I, I promised to make myself miserable. I will feel so bad for all the things that I've done, Lord. Will that earn it back? No. It's not possible. That is Jesus' point. But don't miss the other part of that point. The king forgives it. He forgave it. And what strikes me is the cost. That the cost was covered. Because forgiveness always costs somebody. Forgiveness is never free. It can't be free. That's what it means is that somebody did something. They spent something. They, they ruined something that they cannot repay. And that was spent. It was cost. Think about if you loaned your car to a friend who was in a rough patch. They had already lost everything. They had their car repossessed and they lost their job. And they're like, I just need a car to go find a job. And I'm going to lose my house next. Can you, can you, I need your car. And you're like, Okay, use my car. And they total your car. You can forgive them, right? You're not, you could say, pay me back. Or you could say, I forgive you. Or maybe something in between, I suppose. But you could say, I forgive you. Does the cost of that car just evaporate? No. If you forgave them and say, I'm, I'm, I wish that didn't happen, but I forgive you, you eat the cost of that car, right? That's what forgiveness is, is someone has to pay the debt. It doesn't just go away. And that's what the king is trying to tell us. That's what forgiveness is. And so who eats that cost in this instance? The king himself. And so when the king says, I release you, I forgive you, he took on the debt of all debts. 
He paid the penalty of all penalties so that the servants don't have to. Why? Because they can't. Are you starting to understand? That is Jesus. That is what he did for us, his servants. He took on the debt that cannot even be counted. It cannot even be put in a numerical form. And it's something that we couldn't even pay for ourselves, but we owed it. And the king said, I forgive you. And it's why he had to come and die because forgiveness isn't just like, you can't ignore it, that the debt has to be paid. And this shows that. This is what Jesus did. And Peter maybe didn't understand that all in this moment, that the cost is paid. But when we read this, we should know this. Do you see that? You have to see that. You have to see God's part. God's part has to be what we see or we will not understand. We will not get forgiveness right. And so what does that mean? Other than just being totally overwhelmed at the the graciousness and the goodness of a father who forgives a debt that we all owe. What does that mean for our actions? Well, naturally, something that significant, God's part in forgiveness clarifies my part. That's why Jesus is telling this story. God's part clarifies my part. It has to. And if you've heard the story, if you've learned this story, you probably know how it goes, but let's read it anyways. The second half of the story. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him, begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The point of the parable is not unclear. We must go and do the same. It only makes sense. And as absurd as it sounds, when you read this parable in one fell swoop and you hear the second half of this parable and it's absurd, why wouldn't the servant just forgive this other person? That sounds absurd in the context. It is just as absurd when Christians do not forgive other people. That is what Jesus is saying. 
God's part clarifies my part. It clarifies it. It's so clear. And the king says something that is so strong in verse 32. It's actually evil. The king says, you evil servant. If we take advantage of what the king has done on our part and we don't extend the same thing, Jesus is saying that's actually evil. It's not indifference. It's evil to not forgive after being forgiven a debt that is insurmountable. And in verse 28, he talks about a few thousand dollars. Well, how much was this debt? It is not 10,000 talents. It's a few hundred denarii. So in comparison, a denarius is a lot smaller than a talent. A denarius was one day's wage. So this is about three months plus, or then LT says a few thousand dollars. I think that's accurate. It's not the same. And it's not unclear what this is trying to say to us. God is the king. We are the servants. We have an infinite debt that we owe God. He forgives us. We forgive others. That's the picture. In other words, forgiven people. If we're Christians and we say, I want your forgiveness, Lord. I've asked for it. I've admitted that I'm a sinner and I'm crying out for your forgiveness, Lord. I am gonna repent and I am going to forgive others. God's part has clarified my part. And whenever we have a difficult situation, we bring it to God. But when we do that, when we think about the situations in our life, and this, again, doesn't make them easy. It's still really hard. That's not the point of the parables to say that that would have been hard for the other servant. It's just in the context, we cannot take our eyes off of the king. We can't take our eyes off of what the king has done for us. The king has forgiven you. And when we're dealing with somebody else who sinned against us, we need to think and know that the king has actually forgiven them. Yes, he has his own expectations of them and he has his expectations of us and God's part clarifies my part and we must forgive. And as you think through this parable, it might be easy to think, well, this is a kingdom where there are no consequences for sins, but that's just not true. In this kingdom, the king bore those consequences himself. The forgiveness wasn't truly free. The king is just saying he wants his followers to be like him, who bear suffering, who bear hardship. Now, that's what we look like. If we're followers of Jesus and we're little Christ's Christians, we will suffer like Jesus. And this is the picture. And when we think about this parable, the reason the servant's behavior is so egregious is because it's so obvious that he didn't understand. That internally, you're like, this guy doesn't get it, right? He only cared about being spared from the consequences. 
And so our job, the last words of this parable are, forgive from your heart. From the inside is what really matters. If you understand what God has done, the inside starts to take care of itself. And the only way we can do that is when we are entirely dependent on God, on his forgiveness for us, can we then extend mercy to somebody else? Because if we believe the gospel, if we believe that we are saved by grace and we still hold a grudge against somebody else, we look like this servant and we are at very minimum blocking the effect of the gospel in our heart or demonstrating that we don't understand it at all. That's what's at stake. It's an attitude we must fight. I wanna close telling you just a quick story about a friend in ministry. Uh, a time a man came into his office. He wanted to see a pastor, which is great. That happens frequently. That happens here. It's fine. It's good. And uh, he came into his office and he said, my business has started losing money. Uh, after you know, I did something wrong, I started having an inappropriate relationship with one of my colleagues and it's just thrown everything off and I wanna make it right. And so I have a blank check here. How much money can I write to the church to make it right so that God will bless my business? This is a true story. Isn't that crazy? Like that's how some of us think. This really happens. And the reason that's so jarring is it's like, they don't get it in their heart. Just like that man only wanted to get out of the consequences of their actions, the servant just wanted to get out of the consequences of this enormous debt. And the king goes first and he relieves those consequences. But the king really wanted him to understand on the inside what his heart really was for him that he would understand that the king is a forgiving, gracious king and that we should bring our situations to the Lord and we should remember that God's part clarifies our part and so we can forgive others as God has forgiven us. And we're gonna sing a song here in just a second. I'm gonna pray for you. And afterwards, or even during that song, after the service, I will be up front. If you still need clarity on has God forgiven you and you got some business to do with the Lord, I will be up front. would love to pray with you or talk through you on that. But for the rest of us, we need to be challenged. What is it on the inside that we need to give up to God? How can we keep our eyes on what Jesus has done for us so that we can forgive? And for the record, my friend did not accept any blank check. <laughs> Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.